Genesis 3.6 proclaims it, the name that is above every name. The name that is given by which men might be saved. The name of Jesus the Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our King. We are here to lift him up, to praise him, to rejoice over him. Because he is the name that is above every name. Even the name of coronavirus. Jesus' name is above that. That means that we're going to get out of this somehow, some way, someday. Either God is going to deliver us through this, which means we're going to see the other side of it, or he's coming back for us to deliver us from this. Either way, we know we have victory, power, and authority over all things because of the name of Jesus. So we want to thank you all so much for joining us this morning and lifting up the name of Jesus Christ. And now that we have done that, the Bible says as praises go up, his blessings will now come down. So now as our hearts have been prepared to receive him, we want to pray over this word that God has in store for us today. So join me in prayer, if you will. Lord, we thank you so much for blessing us with this time to gather in your name and in your presence, even if it's virtually at this moment. We pray, God, you will still meet with your people. You will meet us exactly where we are, minister to us exactly what we need, so that we may be changed by your word, and we may be thoroughly equipped with your word, that we may be effective in doing what you've called and purposed us to do, both now and forever, for our good and for your glory. So watch over your word at this time. See that it does what you have uh, purposed it to do even before the foundations of the earth. And as you do, Lord, we'll be careful to give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. It is in Jesus' name that we pray and ask these things and all of God's people said together. Amen. Amen. Well, there is a particular phrase that you will find not only in literature, but now you will also find in pop culture. Uh, But this phrase was derived from or is rooted in paganism. It is rooted in mysticism. It is even rooted in occultism. This particular phrase is, as above, so below. As above, so below. I believe they made a a movie with this particular title a few years back, which brought it into the limelight of pop culture. But again, it is rooted in these things, paganism, mysticism, and even occultism, as above, so below. And basically what as above, so below is, it is a way to try to describe how this universe works. It's a way to describe the relationship between the macrocosm and the microcosm, how uh, the part will reflect the whole or the whole will reflect the part. It is a way to describe or explain how this universe works. Now, this is a perversion of the truth, right? The Bible does talk about a relationship between the spiritual and the natural, but as above, so below, it it is a perversion or a distortion of the truth because it tends to leave God out. That's why you will hear people talking about, I'm sending things into the universe, hoping it will come back to me. And you have things like law of attraction and uh, the power of positive thinking and uh, naming and claiming. All these things is what they are talking about with as above, so below. They're saying there is a correlation or a reflection from the spirit world and the natural world. But it tends to leave God That is why it is a perversion of the truth because, yes, even the Bible gives a correlation between the two. Jesus himself did say, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The Bible does seem to indicate that for every physical truth, there is a spiritual root. And even when Jesus Uh, taught his disciples how to pray. He said, and when you pray, you pray, thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. So yes, the Bible does indicate that there is a correlation or a relationship between the spiritual realm and the physical or natural realm. One of the things that is going on right now in the spiritual realm, the spiritual world, that will ultimately take place in the natural, physical world, 
is worship. Worship. If God were to give us a glimpse behind the curtain, if he were to open up our eyes and allow us to see into the spiritual realm, what we would see is a war going on. A war taking place between heavenly hosts, angels, and the fallen angels or demons. God were to move back the veil and allow us to see into the spiritual realm, that is what we would be seeing going on right here, right now, a spiritual battle or a spiritual warfare between God's angels and Satan's demons. That is happening, that is taking place right here, right now, in the spiritual realm, okay? The reason why you can't see it is because we live in the physical, in the natural. And even though we can't see this warfare going on, we can definitely see the results of it. Because this war is all about you. This war is all about me. It is for the soul of humanity, uh, for the glory of God, or for the demise uh, of his plan. That is what this war is all about. So even though we cannot see this war in the heavenlies, we can definitely see the effects of this war lived out in the natural and in the physical realm. So, the 70th week of Daniel is what we've been talking about. We've taken you from start to finish of the 70th week or the last seven years uh, before Jesus Christ returns as king, okay? But how will this week end? Okay? After all the things that the Bible predicts and prophesies and talks about happening during this tribulation period, how is this week going to end? Well, the Bible we're going to discover today, the Bible says that this week, the 70th week of Daniel, these last seven years before Jesus Christ comes back, this week is going to end with a bang. Literally. This week is going to end with a bang, literally. And the bang is something called Armageddon. Armageddon. Now, you've heard about Armageddon. You've read Armageddon. You've You've heard it in church. You've seen movies about Armageddon. But I'm convinced that not too many people really know and understand what Armageddon is. Well, what Armageddon is all about, many people think Armageddon is an asteroid hitting the world. <laughs> or a big tidal wave covering uh, the earth again. Or, or what we saw in, in the movie 2012 where you had these uh, earthquakes and tornadoes all over the place. They believe that is Armageddon. That is not Armageddon. We've allowed Hollywood to let to tell us what Armageddon is, but the Bible has a different depiction of what this thing called Armageddon is. Armageddon, simply put, is what is taking place in the heavenlies. What is happening in heavenly places or in the spiritual realm spilling over and out into this physical realm. That, in a nutshell, is Armageddon. And we will explain what we mean by that. So, as we continue our series called The Seal Revealed, Book of Daniel and the End of Days, we're going to continue that with part 12 of our series with an entitled, On Earth as in the Heavens. On Earth He gets a vision of the end of days, the end of times, and he sees what we refer to or the Bible refers to as Armageddon. And this vision that he gets, it troubles him so much that he decides to fast and to pray, to call on the name of the Lord, to get insight, to get wisdom, to get knowledge and information and revelation about this vision that he has seen because it is vexing him. It is So he is there fasting, and he is praying, and he does this for three 
for three whole weeks, Daniel was fasting and praying and petitioning to heaven, asking God to reveal to him what this vision was all about. And all of a sudden, he gets this vision of a heavenly man dressed in white with a gold sash around his, his waist. And many believe this is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. But he sees this vision. He falls to his knees, puts it in his hands. He's there shaking and trembling. And all of a sudden, an angel comes to him, touches him, and gets him up to explain to him what this vision is all about. So we're going to pick up the story in verse 10. And let me let you know off the bat, this is more informational or informative as anything else. So while we want you to be excited about the Word of God, and we hope you are excited about this lesson, this is more informative than anything else, all right? So go with me to verse 10 of Daniel chapter 10, where we're now going to pick up the rest of this story. It says, And suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, this angel, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you, and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood up trembling. So God has sent an angel to Daniel to strengthen him, to encourage him, but also to let him in on what this vision is all about. Verse 12, however, he says this. Then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, watch this, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, that's what fasting is, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. This angel tells Daniel, because you humbled yourself to fast before God, because you uh, humbled yourself to pray and to seek the face of God and be willing to look back, I am here because of that. God is responding to your fasting and to your praying. But he says this, and I don't know if y'all caught this or not. He says this. He says, I'm here to let you know that from the first day that you began to fast and pray, heaven heard. From the very first day that you began to fast and you began to pray, I want you to know, Daniel, heaven heard you. So then here's the question. If heaven heard on the first day, then why did Daniel have to pray and fast for three weeks? Why did it take the angel of God to come to Daniel three weeks if God heard, if heaven heard, on day one? Why did it take so long? Why the delay? Well, the angel is going to explain why it took so long. He says in verse 13, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me, uses the word prince here, not talking about like fairy tales, okay, but the son of a king. We're talking about Jesus, okay? The Bible refers to angels as different things in the Bible. Angels are referred to as messengers because that's what angels do. Angels are referred to stars in heaven because that's what they are. But angels are also referred to as being a prince or prince. That's why the Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. We wrestle against principalities. Well, what's a principality? Principality is simply an angel that has an area or a domain of influence. In other words, just like God dispatches his angels to reside over areas and providences, Satan's kingdom does the exact same thing. Satan also will dispatch his fallen angels or demons to reside over certain areas or over people of this world so that he may try to accomplish his will. So this angel who comes to, to Daniel, he says, even though we heard you on day one, the reason why it took me three weeks and 21 days is because I was opposed. I ran into opposition because this war that is constantly going on in the heavenlies. 
behold, Michael, one of the chief princes or archangels, came to help me. This angel said, it got so bad, I had to call Michael for backup. <laughs> this war, this battle that we are conquering in, it got so bad where until I get to you, I had to call Michael, the archangel, to come out and help me in this battle, help me in this fight. And he says, for I have been left the vision refers to many days yet. This vision was not about Daniel, nor was it about the time that Daniel was living in. It was all about the end of days, and the Bible lets us know of this war that is taking place in heavenly places. So let me give you a recap of where we started from with this week, so we can now talk about how this week began not with the rapture of the church, but the rapture of the church has taken place. All the saints of God who believe in Jesus Christ and give their life to him, they have been raptured from this world, okay? After that, the Antichrist is revealed. The man of sin, the son of perdition, he comes on scene. Then you have the unholy trinity comprised of the dragon Satan, the beast, which is the Antichrist, and the false with this unholy trinity, or this unholy cabinet, they rise to power to rule all of the world. You have one world leader or governance. You have one world currency or economy. You have one world religion going on at this time. Pseudo-peace is given to this world, all except any believer or Christian who became a Christian as a result of seeing the rapture So this Antichrist, this false prophet, they erect an image of the Antichrist, of the beast. They command all to bow down and worship this image and to receive a mark on their hand or their forehead. And when you don't receive it, you die. So pseudo-peace for the rest of the world, persecution for anybody and everybody who doesn't uh, follow along with the Antichrist. But in the midst of this, what is going to begin this seven-year time is a seven-year peace treaty that the Antichrist is going to get Israel and Palestine to agree to. They're going to agree to a seven-year peace treaty, and when that happens, start your clock on this treaty. Because the Bible says it's the, in the middle of this treaty, three and a half years after the signing of this peace treaty, the Antichrist is going to break his covenant He's going to go into the house of God, into the Holy of Holies. He's going to erect this image that they have made. He's going to cease all worship, all sacrifice to all gods. He is going to proclaim that he is God. And you are to worship him. And he's going to do that in God's own own house. That is the abomination that will cause desolation. And when he does that, all hell literally is going to break loose and open. Horsemen and with many ships, and he shall 
overwhelmed him and passed through. He shall also enter the glorious land. What's the glorious land? Jerusalem. The Antichrist is going to enter the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown, but he shall escape from his hand. Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver, over all the precious things of Egypt. Also the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall follow at his hand. But news from the east and the north shall trouble him. Therefore he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. And he shall plant the tents of his palace between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end, and no one will help him. This is describing the time when the world will once again be uplifted. What Daniel just got, this vision that Daniel just got, is describing the time when the world once again will be at war with each other. One another. You see, whenever you have a war or a battle, it's usually between two entities, right? Two kings or two countries, two nations. Every now and then you may have another nation will come and help that one, but basically it's just between two nations, right? But every now and then you will have what is called a world war. And a world war is where it's not just between two entities. No, all the world gets together for this war. It happened during World War One. It happened again during World War Two, and the Bible predicts, prophesies that it is going to happen again. All of these kings, all of these nations, are going to once again begin to war with each other again. What we would refer to as World War One. So the question, though, is why? Why are we going to see World War those who are here? Why are they going to see World War III again? The Bible talks about these kings coming from different regions of the world against the Antichrist. Now, the reason why they're doing that is because, number one, even though the Antichrist is going to rise to power, that doesn't mean everybody's going to like him. doesn't mean everybody's going to agree with why, because... If the Antichrist is rising to power to rule all the world, then what does that mean about my power? And so one of the reasons why the world is going to come against the Antichrist is because they don't like the fact that he has risen to power and he is now ruling all of the world. So that's going to make them come against the Antichrist. Another reason why they're going to come against the Antichrist is because initially he makes himself a friend of Israel. Remember, he signs, gets them to sign the seven-year peace treaty. He allows Israel to exist and coexist. He allows Israel to rebuild the temple and resume their sacrifices. So he makes himself a friend. That's how he's a friend of Israel. And any friend of Israel is an enemy of everybody else. What you are seeing right now is anti-Semitism at its worst. It is, it is ramping up because the Bible says, Israel will stand alone. That's why you need to appreciate the country you live in and even the president that you have who is right now supporting Israel. Because I believe that is the only saving grace that we have, our support of Israel. The Bible says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And so while this nation is still supporting Israel, you ought to thank God. Because the Bible says at the end, no one will support them because Israel will be hated by all. So the mere fact that this beast, the Antichrist, has made himself a friend to Israel means he is an enemy to everybody else. So for these reasons, the Bible says that these kings are going to come from different regions of the world against him because there's a king from the north, king from the south, and king from the east. So who might these kings be? Well, whenever the Bible gives um, a direction like this, north, south, east, west, it's from the place of Israel, specifically from Egypt. 
the centerpiece of it all. When it talks about the north, the south, the east, or the west, it is talking about from Israel, specifically Jerusalem. So north of Israel would be what many Bible scholars believe to be Russia. The king of the north that is going to come against the Antichrist could possibly be Russia. Right now, Russia is aiding and abetting places like Syria who are bombing Israel and coming against Israel. So Russia may be this king of the north that comes against Israel. Then the Bible talks about the king of the south. Well, the king of the south may be these Arab nations, these Muslim nations like Egypt who are south of Jerusalem, Israel, who is going to come against these Jews as well. And then you have a king of the east. Well, who might be the king of the east? Well, many believe it may be China. Why China? Well, because if you go to Revelation, the Bible talks about an army that comes to this end time with a number of 200 million. A 200 million man army. And China right now boasts that they have a 200 million man army at their disposal right now. So these may be the two countries or kings that Daniel saw in Daniel 11, the king of the north, the king of the south, and the king of the east. Notice there's no king of the west. Notice now, how can the United States be the powerhouse that it is, but not be mentioned in prophecy? Not be a, 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 a play or a player in end time prophecy? Could be that the United States no longer exists. Or it could be because we were birthed from Europe, we're a part of the king of the north. But either way, the Bible is describing a time when all of these kings are going to come against the beast. And where is the beast right now? In Israel. Okay? In the holy or the glorious city. Revelation also describes Armageddon or this world war three. Revelation 16, if you have a Bible, go to Revelation 16, verse 12. Revelation, John is also going to describe this World War III. He says in Revelation 16, 12, Then the sixth angel poured out his bowls, these are the seven bowls of wrath, poured out his bowls on the great river Euphrates. And its water was dried up so that the way of the Verse 13, then I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, that's Satan, out of the mouth of the beast, that's the Antichrist, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, the unholy sorcerer. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world, watch this, to gather them to the battle of that It is. 
mountain it is called Hell Megiddo. Hell Megiddo is the hill or the mountain in Megiddo. And from that hill or mountain, you have this great plain. And so the plain is called Har Megiddo. Har Megiddo, and that's where we get the name or the word Armageddon. This is a great plain and a tremendous battlefield. It is a great place for a war and for a battle to ensue. And so Armageddon is not only referring to an event, it's referring to an event, but it's also referring to the place of the event. All of these kings are being gathered at this one place, Armageddon, for this one battle we call Armageddon. Now, this is all the Lord's doing. You have to know this all the Lord's doing. We know it's the Lord's doing. Why? Because he dried up the Euphrates River. God is helping this battle cease. Okay? So this is all the Lord's doing. Another way, though, we know this is the Lord's doing is because if you turn to Zechariah 14, Zechariah was another prophet of God who spoke on end-time prophecies with even this World War III or Armageddon. Zechariah chapter 14 what Zechariah says about it. He says in verse 1, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided uh, in your midst. For I, the Lord says, for I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The Bible says, or God says, I am going to gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. Well, wait a minute. Revelation said the unholy trinity is gathering all the nations to this battle. Zechariah says God is gathering all the nations to this battle. Well, which one is it? Both. Both are active. Both of them, because both are going on. Satan and the beast and the false prophet they are provoking all of these kings and all of these nations to this battlefield, but God is allowing it. Not only is God allowing it, God is helping them do it. That's why he dried up the Euphrates River. So ultimately, it is God's doing. God is just using Satan to do it, which lets us know that God will even use Satan to get his will done. God will use Satan to get his will accomplished, as we're going to see more so next week come back to that. So this is God's doing. He is He's the one that is gathering all of these nations to Jerusalem and against Jerusalem. He says, the city shall be taken, the houses righteously, and the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. God always needs a remnant. God will why throughout history, all the people, all of the wicked, evil men who came against Israel could never wipe them out and destroy them completely. He had plots for them, but God will always leave a remnant. Right? So God is the one that's bringing these nations together. Why is God doing this? Well, God is luring them in that he may take them all in. that he may take them all out. You see movies where you're attacking, where you have somebody that's trying to bait people, come in, you know, follow me, come in, and they set the trap for them. Kind of like Home Alone. Remember the movie Home Alone? <laughs> uh, the little boy, he comes, and he's like, hey, God, I'm over here. Come get me. <laughs> all of a sudden, this paint, uh, paint can comes down and hits him in the face. God is doing the same thing here. <laughs> he's like, come on, nations. <laughs> come on, kings. Come on here to Armageddon, Armageddon. Come get this seat and then turn around and come after Jerusalem. He is luring them all in that he may take them all out. Because verse 3 of Zechariah 14 says this. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations. Watch that. Who's going to fight against them? 
the Lord. The Lord himself will go forth and fight against those nations. As he fights in the day of battle, and in the day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives on that day, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north, and half of it toward the south. The Bible says that when this battle begins, when all the nations are gathered to this one place, Armageddon, initially they will be against the beast. Because he's risen to power and because he's made himself a king of Israel. So originally, this war is going to be against the beast. But Zechariah says it then is going to be against the beloved. Who's the beloved? Israel. Jerusalem. The Jews. The Jews are the beloved of the Lord. They are the chosen people of God. So when that happens, when this war moves from being against the beast to against the beloved, that is when Big Brother shows up. That is when Big Brother is going to show up. That is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Okay? The rapture of the church is not the second coming. Jesus doesn't come back to the earth during the rapture. The Bible says we are caught up to meet him in the air. But at this time, when the war is not only against the beast, but it turns against the beloved, that's when Big Brother shows up. He comes, and the Bible says he is now going to place feet on this earth, specifically on the Mount of Olives. This is the very same mountain, if you remember, that Jesus ascended from the Mount of Olives. He ascended from, and he disappeared into a cloud. And angels came and said, don't worry, for in like manner, the way you saw him leave is the way he will return. And he is going to step foot on the Mount of Olives when he comes back. It's going to cause this earthquake and the mountain to split and this huge valley to run right into the eastern gate or the eastern wall. I had an opportunity to go to Israel last year sometime and we stood on uh, the Mount of Olives and we looked toward the eastern gate of the Temple Mount. Jesus Christ is going to do the same thing. Only when he stands there, it is going to split in two, creating a path for him straight into the eastern gate of the temple. The Bible says this will happen. This is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Revelation 19 also describes Jesus Christ. Revelation 19, starting in verse 11, it says this, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like the flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Who is this? Jesus Christ. What John talked about in the gospel, he now reiterates in the Revelation. Remember in the gospel of John, he says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, The Word, for the Word was God. And then later on he says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, talking about Jesus Christ. And in the same way he says, and when he comes back, riding on a white horse, this is who it is. His name is the Word of God. What I told you back in the gospel, I'm reiterating right now. The white horse. Not only does Jesus Christ come back riding a white horse, lands on Mount of Olives, but the Bible says in the next verse, and the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses as well. Remember what we said a few weeks ago, when Jesus Christ comes back, he is not coming back alone. He is not coming back by himself. Revelation here tells us that the armies of heaven is coming back with him. 
the armies of heaven. He's not talking about angels. No. He's talking about us. <laughs> you and I are those who are found in Christ Jesus. Just like Paul said in 1 Thessalonians, those who sleep in Christ will also come back with Christ. <laughs> we are the armies of heaven. After that reward ceremony is done, and it's time, Jesus leads the way. We all have white arms. We're all riding our white horses as well. And we follow right behind Jesus Christ back to this earth, back to this war. Why? For that great battle. It says here in the next verse, now out of his mouth, and he, he said a super word, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. These nations that are scattered. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron, that's strength, big, that's, it's flexible, okay? He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on the thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. <laughs> this is not meek and mild-mannered Jesus coming, no, this is the Lion of the tribe of Judah who's coming back. He is coming back to rule. He's coming back to reign. He's ruling with a rod of iron. There's no flexibility. There's no bending in him. No, he is coming back as king of kings and lord of lords. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess him when he returns. This is how he comes back. And we come back with him. And so in verse 17, we read of the battle, which was Armageddon. Says, then I saw an angel standing in the sun. And so the Bible says the sun in that day will be darkened. I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings and of captains and of mighty men, the flesh of horses and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. Birds, it's dinner time. That angel is going to ring the dinner bell and say, it's time to eat. He says, and I saw the beast, the Antichrist, the kings of the earth, and their armies all gathered together to make war, watch this, against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And notice how this battle has now changed again. Its original focus was on the beast. Then it moved to being on against the beloved. Now it has come against Big Brother. <laughs> okay? They have now come to wage war against Jesus Christ and all of us who are with him. <laughs> but it will not be a fair fight. <laughs> Won't be much of a fight at all. The Bible says then the beast was captured, that's the Antichrist, and with him the false who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. These three were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the rest, all the others, were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds of the sea with them. This will be no fight at all. The Bible says Jesus is but going to speak a word, and they will all be killed. They will all be killed, and after they are all killed, he's going to capture the beast, who is the Antichrist, and the false prophet, and he is going to throw them both alive in the lake of fire forever. Now, if you're keeping track, <laughs> if you, you've been counting, Antichrist, which is the beast and the false prophet, but God only takes two-thirds of that unholy trinity and casts into the lake of fire. Why doesn't he do the same with Satan? Why didn't he take Satan at that time and cast him to, into the lake of fire as well? Because he still has the trinity. Because he still has something for Satan to do. Like we said, even though he's Satan, 
while he takes the beat from the false prophet and throws them into the lake of fire, he reserves faith for his final perfect moment. This we will see next week. So this is Armageddon. This is Armageddon, right? Armageddon is not, you know, Bruce Willis and, you know, the asteroid coming to hit the earth. Armageddon is not like, you know, deep impact with a huge tornado or a tidal wave covering the whole earth. God says, I will not destroy the world with water again. It will not be with water, but with fire next time. That's not Armageddon. Not all the movies, not Denzel Washington and, and what you saw in the book of Eli. That's not this is Armageddon, when God lures all of the kings, all of the kingdoms, all of the nations of this world to this one temporary opening. He lures them all in that he may take them all out. That is Armageddon. And that is how the seven trumpets end. You know, it is interesting, uh, Jesus in Luke 4, 18 goes into the synagogue in Matthew chapter 8, and it is customary for a passing rabbi or a visiting rabbi to help with the service that's leading the synagogue. So in Luke 4, 18, the Bible says that he goes into the synagogue, and they hand him the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. They hand him the book of Isaiah and the scroll of Isaiah. But even though they hand him the scroll to read, the Bible says, he finds where it is written. This is purposeful. This is intentional. And it's even more amazing because back then there were no captains for churches with this scroll, okay? Men placed or added chapters and verses in the Bible. That's not how they were reading then, right? So uh, the book of Isaiah has over 60 chapters in it, okay? So you can imagine how long this thing is. So it's amazing that the Bible says, and he, Jesus, found where it was written. And where did he begin to read? Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. What does Isaiah 61, 1 and 2 say? It says this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the good news of the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to bring sight uh, of the blind, to uh, set free those held captive. But it is verse 2 of Isaiah 61, it says this, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of his God. That is what Isaiah 61, 2 says. And to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and to proclaim when Jesus begins to read Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, and you know it, he leaves that last part out. He says, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and then he closes the book, the second book, then gets back to the original, and he says this. And here's the question. Why didn't Jesus finish the story? Why didn't Jesus Isaiah said, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ, he will come to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of the wrath of God. Why didn't Jesus finish it? Because it wasn't the day of vengeance of God. That's not why Jesus stopped. Jesus makes it plain and clear. He says, I did not come to the world to condemn the world. I did not come to the world to judge the world. I did not come to the world to take vengeance out upon the world. I came to the world to save the world. I came that this world might be saved. I didn't come to judge. I didn't come to condemn. I didn't come to take vengeance. I came to seek and to save that which is lost. So that's why he says, I came to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. God is accepting all who are willing to come to him through me. That's why I came. I didn't come to proclaim the day of vengeance. Why? Because he 
Jesus said at that moment, and what Jesus said in other scriptures, it was talking about his first coming. Those scriptures were all talking about his first coming. I didn't come to condemn. I didn't come to judge. I didn't come to take vengeance out. I came to save. That is all talking about his first coming. Oh, but his second coming. His second coming, though, he is coming, he is coming to condemn. With his second coming, he is coming to take vengeance of God out on all who sinned against him and didn't come to Christ. That is exactly why he is coming. And he must judge. If he does not judge, then he is unjust. We have these people in the world right now that will say things like, don't judge me, don't judge me, only God can judge me. And that's true. they don't think God will judge them. The reason why they say, you don't judge me, only God can judge me, because they really don't believe God will judge them. What they're saying is, you don't judge me now, let God judge me later, but we really know he's not going to judge because he is loving and he is merciful and he is kind and he is patient, and so he's not going to judge, so nobody will judge. Wrong. When Jesus Christ He's coming to judge. He is coming to condemn. He is coming to take out the vengeance of God upon this world for their sin. That is why he is coming. So when we go to the world and we say, thus says the Lord, we are not judging you. What we are doing is trying to keep you from being judged. Because the one who can judge and is going to judge, that is exactly why he So in other words, when he was in the synagogue and he read those scriptures from Isaiah, he didn't stop to just talk. He didn't stop Isaiah 61. He simply paused Isaiah 61. For when he steps foot on uh, the Mount of Olives, he's going to finish Isaiah 61 here. He's going to step foot on that mountain. He's going to say, and to declare the day of vengeance of the Lord God. Because now it is time to judge. My advice to you and anybody else is receive him now before he comes back to finish the work. Receive the Lord God right now. Receive Jesus Christ while you still can, while you still have time, while you're still in this time of mercy and of grace and of forbearance. Receive God now before Christ comes back to finish that work. that when we meet and we have meetings on Zoom for our church and my wife still have it on her job and all, there's certain times when the host wants everybody to see what's going on on their screen, right? Right? So they have maybe some pictures or some documents or some type of slideshow or something. They have it on their screen. They want it on everybody's screen so everybody can see. It's called Zoom screen, right? It is a feature that Zoom has where the host can share what's on their so that everybody can see it. What's going on on this screen is now going on on everybody's screen. And that is what Armageddon is. Armageddon is God's Zoom screen. Right now, that war is going on in the heavenlies, in the spiritual realm. But at the end of the seven weeks, God's system is going to hit a button and end things. What is going on in the heavenlies, this war that's going on in heavenlies, Thank you. 
I've always wanted to give you the opportunity to now make some decisions in light of what you have now heard. Now, I know this has been a lot of information, maybe something you've never heard before, told in a different way. But now you know and now you understand what Armageddon is. Not what Hollywood has depicted, but what the Word of God has said, has stated, and it will happen. And so the only way, as we said, that you can avoid this is that you are found in Christ. Because either way, we all will be at Armageddon. All of us are going to be at Armageddon. The question is, which side are you going to be on right now? Are you going to be on the battlefield with, with Satan, with the beast, with the false prophet, with all the kings of this world? Or are you going to be clothed in white on a white horse behind Jesus? Either way, we're all going to be there, but the question is, which side would you be on? But we want to give you an opportunity to make a decision today, right now, for the change not only in your life, but all of your Simply put your trust, your faith, and your hope in the risen Savior, Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, who, yes, came the first time to give life. But the second time he's coming, he's coming again. He's coming to judge. He's coming to condemn. He's coming to take vengeance out on this earth. He must do that, or else he is not a just God. He must right every wrong. He must balance the scale. And that means he must judge sin. But here's the good news. When he was on that cross, he took all of the sin of all of the world upon himself. And he paid the price in full so that we wouldn't have to. So that all who are willing to come to him and to to forsake the ways and the direction they were going. That's what repentance means, to turn away from it. Turn away from the ways of this world, from Satan, from sin, and the things of this world. He, Jesus Christ, the cross of his kingdom. God says he will apply what Jesus did on your behalf. That means he doesn't have to judge you. He doesn't have to condemn you. He doesn't have to take vengeance out on you. Why? Because he's already done that through his son. So now he is free to be Global warming isn't the thing that takes us out. No, 
done. So let it be written. So let it be done. God said it because he already said it. And so let us be courageous during these days. Let us be strong in the Lord during these days, knowing that our lives are in his hands and his will, his purposes, and his plans will come to pass. May we go forth this evening to stand in the gap, to enlarge the Zion Elevated Generation who desperately needs it. We want to thank you so much for joining us today. We pray that you have been blessed by this ministry. If you have, let us know. Go on to our website, believechurch.cc, where you can give to this ministry that we may continue in what God is doing through this ministry. You can also watch not only this lesson, but previous lessons and catch up to where we are now. You can like, share, comment, subscribe, all those things so that we may know that this ministry is not in vain, that it is doing the work of the Lord and building his people in ways that matter. I want to remind you to tune in to our, our midweek service on Wednesday at 7 p.m. We're going to continue our series on Minds of the Minds. And as um, Cynthia said, that uh, God is meeting us where we are and giving us these biblical principles to give us the power, the authority, and the victory even in and over our minds. So please um, log in on next Wednesday for another session of the Underground. Next Sunday, we're still in this end time prophecy series, so we're going to be talking about God's reset button. God's reset button. Now that God has removed all of the evil of this world, and we have the plan for Satan we're going to talk about uh, next week, he is then going to hit the reset button. So we're going to talk about that next week. You don't want to miss that. Please tune in again for that and share this. Let somebody know where they can find uh, the hope, the peace, and the presence of Almighty God in this generation. And then if you haven't heard, our governor has lifted some of the restrictions on churches. We now are able to begin uh, opening our doors and meeting. So uh, the leadership of this church are right now working those details out to see what all needs to happen and take place before we open our doors again. So that will be happening, we're thinking, the latest, May 10th, Mother's Day, uh, but we may do it even earlier than that. But please stay tuned, uh, and please call the church office and leave your information. We would love to get a hold of you and give you more information, get in touch on you, see how you're doing. So please call the church office, 361-334-9723. 361-334-9723. Call us up, leave your information, and we can get in contact with you and just uh, touch base with you, make sure you're doing all right, and give you more information about uh, reopening the churches here. All right? Well, that is all we have for you today. So wherever you are, receive the blessing or the benediction of the Lord, and then we'll be dismissed. It is in Luke 11, 2. Luke 11, 2, again, when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, this is what he said in Luke 11, 2. He says, when you pray, you say this, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done. On earth, just as it is, this ought to be the heart and the prayer of every believer, to live and speak as Christ and his kingdom come. Lift your hands wherever you are, receive the blessing and the benediction of the Lord. Lord, we thank you so much for your presence in this place today. We thank you for all that you have shared and all that we have gleaned from it. We pray that it, is, it has been life-changing, life-impacting. And now, Lord, we are that much more prepared and thoroughly equipped to do the work of the Lord while it is still day because we know the night is coming when no man will be able to work. So we pray that you will bless and be with us, that we may be the light on a hill, that we may be the voice in the wilderness, that we may begin to preach and to proclaim the truth of your word, not only for our sake but for the good of those who desperately need you, especially in times like this you may be glorified and your glory may cover the world like the waters cover the sea. And as you do this, Lord, we'll be careful.